This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Your spirit is always with you. It remains intact during the entirety of your lifetime. When you set your intention to align with your spiritual self, you create the proper inner conditions to access divine intelligence. Spiritual inspiration is revealed to you in ways you can personally understand. Emotional beliefs are birthed in human experience and shouldn't be confused with eternal truths. When you are open enough and ready to let go of limited, dualistic thinking for the sake of truth, your spiritual self will emerge, writes Kathleen. Valeria Tellez interviews Kathleen Kylie Fisher, the author of The Spiritual Mind, a guide for mental health and emotional well-being. Kathleen Kylie Fisher is the founder and president of Wellness Insights LLC in East Windsor, Connecticut. Kathleen is a Pathwork teacher and offers free weekly Pathwork lecture discussions on Zoom. In addition to teaching Pathwork, Kathleen is an energy medicine practitioner and yoga training facilitator. She has created several health management programs that produce long-lasting behavioral change. Her spirituality and wellness training programs are offered in schools, hospitals, correctional institutions for adults and youth, and state health agencies. Kathleen is the author of three self-care manuals, including The Spiritual Mind, which offers in-depth insight into 21 spiritual laws from the Pathwork Guide lectures. Meet Kathleen on mindbodyspiritforhealth.com. Here is the interview with Kathleen Kylie Fisher. In your own words, who is Kathleen Kylie Fisher? I am a wellness facilitator and I teach spirituality classes from the Pathwork lectures. Uh, the Pathwork is um, 258 lectures of mind, body, spirit integration. And that particular line of work has really helped me transform and change my life. And as a result, I became a Pathwork teacher, and that's what I teach now. So your book is titled The Spiritual Mind, A Guide for Mental Health and Emotional Well-Being. What is spirituality to you, Kathleen? And is there a difference between spirituality and religion? Spirituality to me is tapping into the purified life force that is available to all of us that encompasses wisdom, spontaneity, creativity, constructive responses to life. Um, in my opinion, religion, traditional uh, religion, spends more time um, referring to biblical quotes and the Bible, and uh, spirituality is on a much more personal basis and how we can actually make uh, scripture personal experiences in our own lives. What is your idea and understanding of health? What is to be truly healthy? Well, when I think of health, I think of the mind-body-spirit connection to where 
if you think of the spirit being truth and love and strength and courage, and when we bring the spirit into our emotional being, our mental being, it ends up physically manifesting in our lives and our relationships with others. And I think to define health in a constructive, positive way is to have all of those areas within ourselves aligned in truth and love and positive exploration of life, creating um, our life experiences to where they are fulfilling, not just for ourselves, but for others and also contributes to the world at large. You say that psychological issues are spiritual issues, you write in your book. So you just mentioned about this alignment with body and spirit or the heart. Would you say also physical issues, um, they are all connected. So once we are spiritually healthy, per se, then we are also healthy at all levels. Is that possible to get to that point where the body no longer uh, suffers? Mm. So this is an important question to really understand. Um, and I could give you an example. When I was, um, I was funded by Emory University to do a um, spiritual healing project. It was spiritual healing and quality of life and Parkinson's disease. And the study, the research study, was funded so that um, there were two groups. One received wellness lessons and uh, wellness lectures on art therapy and plant therapy and uh, pet therapy. And the other um, group received spiritual healing sessions, individual sessions. And they were composed of hands-on healing, which was for the physical healing, but also worked with um, mind-body uh, pastoral care type of issues and really understanding how our, our thoughts are very much connected to our emotional reactions and how our emotional reactions um, how they actually play out in the physical. So in the pathwork, the pathwork talks about how all physical manifestations are a mirror of our soul's issues. And so when you start to focus more on your inner life and your inner thoughts and the emotional responses you have to them, that a relaxation begins to occur. And in that relaxed state, it opens up the channel to the higher self, which is connected to the God self, to the all consciousness, universal consciousness. And when one is in touch with that and life force begins to flow, there's an inner peace that releases from the deepest part of our being out into the emotional, out into the mental, and eventually into the physical. And it really takes time for each individual to surrender to that, to that place within themselves. And oftentimes someone could still have the same physical illness or manifestation, but yet they still feel a deep peace within. So it's really working from the inside out. A question I often ask about the difference between the idea, the understanding we have, a concept of God, consciousness, soul, energy, the mind itself. From what I hear from you, you separated in a way. The soul is within consciousness, but consciousness can be accessed by choice. Yeah, so, yeah, so my understanding, I mean, this is a very large uh, concept, right? But my understanding, and again, following the pathwork teachings, is that there are spheres and spheres and spheres of consciousness. And if we were to take it to the most rudimentary level for understanding and simplicity uh, purposes, there's child consciousness, there's adolescent consciousness, there's adult consciousness, and then there is God consciousness within every single one of us. 
And when we begin to separate those for the purposes of having a vocabulary and reference, and we could say, oh, this is my adult consciousness that is observing an emotional reaction. And when we are experiencing emotional reactions, we are not in present time. We are living out the past. And so in order to access God consciousness within us, we have to be present because that's where God is in the present. And so if we use our adult consciousness to observe an emotional reaction, try to get to the root cause of that reaction, which usually brings us to child consciousness, and then identify what is the misconception that was that was concluded at that experience in time. So for instance, one could be very hurt um, by childhood experiences. Let's just use as an example, abandonment. Let's say uh, someone is abandoned by their father and there's a tremendous amount of pain in that. And then there's life experiences going through life without having a father. But what also occurs, because consciousness always concludes whether it's immature or mature. So let's say a child concludes, I'm not worthy. I'm unworthy because my father left the household. That is a misconception. And that's stuck in the child consciousness until the adult consciousness intervenes, explores, reflects, understands, so that that misconception could be re-educated into the truth, so that, yes, my father abandoned, and I am worthy. And then that creates truth on several different layers of consciousness, because it is the misconceptions that we hold within ourselves that really cause the disruption and the disunity with our God consciousness. Another question I have for you about that is, what drives us to explore these different levels of consciousness? Well, I think that deep down inside every single one of us, we are constantly being nudged. We're constantly being nudged to create, to connect, and we can only connect with others based to on the level of where we are connected within ourselves. And so there's this constant longing. <clears throat> there's a longing for, for loving, creating experiences in life. And when we're not experiencing those, we're wondering why. And those events are actually very significant because they bring us back to ourselves to where, where is the impurity? Where is the wound that is preventing us from experiencing a good life? And so I really believe that the reason why we, we explore our consciousness or we have such a desire to know what it is, is because we wanna create. I think about creativity and love being these two components of life, of the human experience. We can't really live without them. We can't live, I guess, we cannot be uh, fulfilled. Yeah, like if you think of love, like love is a really hard thing to express, almost just like a noun. But when you think about creating, creating is a verb. It's something we can do. And are we creating negatively or are we creating positively? Are we creating constructively? And when we are creating constructively, we're experiencing love. What is enlightenment to you? Enlightenment to me is the expansion of the truth. You know, in the, in the spiritual realms, when you think of the word light, Right. We in, in spirituality, they talk about going toward the light or experiencing the light. When you think of that and you think of the word enlightenment, it has the word light in it. So how do we make things brighter? How do we make things 
um, more pure, more refined. And enlightenment actually helps us to refine our energies because consciousness and energy are continuum. There's no such thing as consciousness without energy. And the energy of the consciousness depends on what level that consciousness is thinking. So if it's in distortion, if it's anger, if it's rage, even though it might feel more powerful, those frequencies are, they resonate at very weak, low energetic frequencies. And enlightenment, when we're moving toward enlightenment, what we're doing is we're evolving our consciousness. And when we evolve consciousness, we actually create more powerful energetic rays as well. And so the more we can, the more we can identify conclusions within ourselves that are not in truth, and we restore the truth to those wrong conclusions we've made in childhood, adolescence, and we also work on, you know, just expanding the truth that already does exist within us. That's how we expand our rays. And, and, you know, in the spirit world, light, consciousness, sound, feel, they're all one. It's all one and the same. They're not separate like they are here. Like on earth, when we experience light, it's something separate outside of ourselves, not, not so in the inner life. When I think about the word light, in a human body, I associate that to playfulness and flow. Ah. Yeah, playfulness comes first, always. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a good rule. Yeah, there's something very light about being playful and not taking almost anything too seriously. Yeah, and like a really carefree attitude, right? Happy-go-lucky, you know, these are, yeah, very lighthearted. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Personally, I think it's about realigning and reconnecting with God. And God being, you know, how do you define God? God, truth, love, they're synonymous. And so if we are to make our way back to God within. And, you know, this is, you know, Christmas time. I don't know when the show will be airing, but, you know, we're recording it now during Christmas time. And so it's a, a very reflective time about, you know, finding or uh, recommitting to the Christ within ourselves, the kingdom of heaven within. And, and how do we do that? You know, it's by, uh, through our human experiences, you know, mistake after mistake, lesson after lesson, just learning how to love not just ourselves, but others in, in a more profound way. I have two questions. One is what lessons have you learned in 2020? And the other one is if you have a vision for a new, better reality. Well, what I've learned in 2020 is that how important and necessary it was for us to slow down. And as much as I practice, I really try on a daily basis to implement a spiritual practice. And for me, that means meditation and prayer and a daily review of my reactions and responses to for myself and, and to others who are most important to me. Now, even though I was doing that, I realized in 2020 when the COVID experience happened, social distancing, that even though I thought I was doing it, I really wasn't. I wasn't doing it as much as I as I am now. You know, there's there's knowing something and there's knowing. And even though I, I thought I was practicing it, when when the social distancing occurred, I realized. Uh, how much I was still more coming from my mental body opposed to from my spiritual self. And I really learned um, how, how illness 
and how separation is so necessary for us to slow down and feel, feel compassion for others, feel empathy for others, listen to how deeply others are really hurting. You know, the essential workers, I love that they now have a title. You know, they have, how important are these people who, if it wasn't for them, God knows what would have happened. So appreciation, um, all of these things that we talk about, but I feel like 2020, at least for me, has really helped me experience these words in a much deeper level. Do you have a vision for a new reality after 2020? Yeah, well, my vision would be that we are able to be more real with each other where the masks are removed right. and, and communicating with each other more honestly, more caringly, and being able to express ourselves undefendedly. Mm. And I know that's going to take time, but we have to think of it. We have to visualize it first before something can actually physically manifest. So that, that is my hope. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Freedom is to live undefendedly. To, to be free to express, to be free to speak my mind, uh, to allow others to speak freely, um, and freedom of expression, not just through, through words, but also through actions as well. So freedom, you know, freedom is, is a really important spiritual term in that <clears throat> there's a spiritual law of free will and that even when we're experiencing uh, negative experiences for those who are willing to really drop down and do serious spiritual exploration one will find where there was an inner unconscious choice to experience something negatively. And the bottom line in, in the spiritual exploration is we have, we are given the freedom to choose. Mm -hmm. So being able to see the choices that takes as you talked about uh, spiritual work, healing work, to get to see the choices, right, Kathleen? Yeah, because a lot of times people feel uh, either victimized or they it's so painful for a lot of people because they don't make the connection between the cause and the effect. And that's the beauty of doing the introspection and the spiritual work of healing is because once you start to look inward, through it takes tremendous self-responsibility and self-honesty yeah. but when you're willing to do that and you're guided properly um, the unconscious begins to unfold itself and reveal itself and it will show the whoever's seeking a, a truth seeker what it was that the person was responding to that on the outside doesn't look like they had any participation. And when you really slow down long enough and, and reflect, so, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that my child consciousness was acting out here. So what would you say is um, something important to remember when avoiding or trying to avoid spiritual growth? Are there some uh, suggestions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if we're, you know, just talking about family members, right, who have uh, difficulty looking within, you know, the analogy that I use is it takes tremendous courage to, to feel 
pain. Because if you think about, let's say somebody's hit by a car, say they get into a car accident and it's um, no fault of their own, a car just slams into them and they have tremendous bodily injury. They're in the hospital and they're going through all this pain, all this physical therapy to get well again. And it doesn't seem like it, but that's actually more difficult than allowing yourself to sit in a chair and just allow pain to surface and come up from you if you know that that there's emotional pain or deep, deep sadness, a loss, you know, where the heart is grieving. And when you allow that, that takes tremendous courage opposed to something on the outside, you know, coming at you, hitting you, and then, you know, you experience bodily injury as a result. That's painful too, but that's having someone, it's apparently having it done to you, opposed to you sitting there and allowing. Now, the benefit of allowing that pain to come up and flow through you and release it is that you remain connected to your real, genuine, authentic self. And that's where our strength is. So by allowing yourself to feel that pain emotionally or, you know, mentally is you develop a tremendous amount of strength so that feelings just become feelings and you become very childlike. If you think of a, a, a couple of kids, they're out in the backyard and they're playing and one gets thrown in a sandbox and cries, you know, and gets up and then goes playing again. It's very fluid. Right. And our emotion should be fluid. And when we allow that, um, then you could laugh a lot sooner as well. Um, And this is a process. It's not like that in the beginning. But, you know, after getting used to feeling your emotions and accepting emotions as a part of your being, then uh, it's it's like your thoughts. You just think very spontaneously, and then another one comes. And same with emotions. Emotions come up, and and then you know they're released, and then you have more life force available to you, and more choices. Right. That's when we are able to see them, yeah, clearly, insights and clarity. Well, the other thing I want to say to that too is when when we don't release it. It stays with us because of the spiritual law of magnetism, the the electromagnetic fields of the consciousness that we hold in our unconscious attracts that very same thing to ourselves over and over and over again. So the more we release that, the more we understand it, you know, the misconceptions of pain or unworthiness or whatever those belief systems are, the more the more you challenge them and restore the truth. Truth is the highest level of consciousness and has the most pure magnetic electro electromagnetic field attached to it. Then that's what you start attracting to you as well. So, so that's the second reason for doing inner work and, and really praying for the courage to look within, because we don't stop pain from coming to us just because we don't look at it. And we'll be talking about the, um, the 21 spiritual laws from the Pathwork Guide lectures and magnetism is one of them. So you just mentioned that, but I highlighted some of them here that called my attention. So I'll be asking you questions about them. But before that, Kathleen, and let me ask you, yeah, this question, how did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and also intention of writing your book, The Spiritual Mind? Well, I wrote The Spiritual Mind because um, it's really a, a compilation of the Pathwork Lectures. Um, so the Pathwork Lectures is 258 lectures, and they're all about anywhere from 9 to 13 pages each, very dense spiritual material. And so what I did was I went through the lectures and I pulled out the spiritual laws 
And there are an infinite number of spiritual laws. I chose 21 of them because I thought that they would be um, very relevant. And I summarized them and I tried to make it so that uh, for an easy read. And as you see, they, you know, each law is about summarized of one page, then there's some bullet points, and then there's questions after each spiritual law so that you can then um, align back to these spiritual principles. Um, so the path work, again, it's mind-body-spirit integration. There are several aspects of, of the path work material. And I wrote the spiritual mind to specifically concentrate on the spiritual laws. Now, the other thing was at the time, I was contracted to work at uh, the Department of Corrections in the um, male youth prison. And um, I thought that the spiritual laws would be very appropriate because um, when, when you are in alignment with your own spiritual principles and your own spiritual laws, uh, you're not going to break um, laws outside in the community. You're not going to commit criminal law if you're aligned, you know, with your own spiritual laws and principles. So that was uh, another reason why I wrote that. Talk to me for a moment about uh, transmission, listening to our intuition and the importance of silence. So sometimes when we're sitting in silence, it's not so silent, right? Yeah. So, yes, so, so, so true. yeah, how do we, how do we get to that silence? Um, so there's one meditation that is very effective and it's called the, um, the three voices and what it allows us to do is to, use our spiritual mind to identify the lower self or those negative traits and then become sort of like a mediator. So there's the spiritual mind, the, you know, conscious, healthy ego that is mediating and really settling down those negative inner critics that cause us unrest. And when you apply this technique on a daily basis, you begin to notice a pattern. You'll find that there's a common denominator that doesn't allow for peace or for calm. And once you get in touch with that aspect of yourself, you call it what it is, you have it written down and you're consciously aware of it. You can invite that into your meditation and then that's what creates inner space. And that's what then allows for silence. So it's really a step-by-step -step process because once you identify, you invite, the negative inner critic in or the busyness, because those are all excuses. Those are all coming from the mental plane, the mental body. And once you, you know, really have engaged, confronted, accepted, included those, those thoughts that keep us separate or split inside, you invite them all to the table. And when they really understand that the mediator here is what's in control. You give them all a fork and some ice cream, visualize it in your head. You know, they're all of a sudden, it's like you can begin to settle and, and relax into yourself. And that along with the transmission, the word that you use to, to how do we relax into that state and relaxation is necessary in order for us to align with our higher self, to hear our higher self. So when we set the intention that I am going to pray, I'm going to ask for divine help to be in the present moment, to be in the silence of myself, sometimes 
It might be 30 seconds, no, not even a full minute, but all of a sudden it appears. And it feels so lovely and so rich. But, you know, I, I don't want to mislead. I don't want people to think that, you know, okay, well, you do this course um, and, you know, you quote unquote behave yourself and get good grades. And then all of a sudden you're going to experience all the silence that that's not the way it is. You know, we're like, it's, it, it's more of a constant uh, going companionship with all levels of ourselves. And then there's intermittent um, little gifts of silence and of peace. And those intermittent areas become wider and wider and wider so that there's just more and more space within ourselves, but they are directly related to, to our willingness to confront ourselves right. and to be with ourselves. So I'm wondering, when did this happen for you? Like, when did you start getting these deep spiritual insights? When I was 33. Uh, when I was 33, my entire life changed. My, my mom passed away when I was 33, and everything on the outside changed along uh, after that time period. And, and I remember my girlfriend picking me up from the airport. My mom uh, had lung cancer. She, um, <clears throat> she decided that uh, she uh, wanted hospice care. Uh, do not resuscitate. She wanted uh, just to, you know, pass on. And so I went and um, my sister and I stayed with her for a month uh, before she, she passed. And then uh, when I went back to Atlanta, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, you know, my girlfriend picked me up from the airport and, she, and I said, Susan, everything's different. And she, she just thought, well, you know, I was grieving. I lost my mom. And I said, no, I'm telling you, it's nothing's ever going to be the same. And it wasn't. And at that time, I also found my spiritual director, uh, Cynthia Schwartzberg of, of the Pathwork at that time. And, um, and I, yeah, I, I delve into, the, into that and that's what I teach now. Do you think that um, losing somebody, someone we love, it is the greatest suffering for each one of us? Or would that be the case? I don't know. You know, I've worked with so many different people throughout the years. And um, I just found that it's very difficult for me to define what a loss is for somebody else. Because, yeah, you know, people respond differently based on their own soul's makeup, their own soul substance, and what they've come to heal and what they've come to learn. And, you know, if what might seem to me to be something really tragic or could be very painful to that person, you know, that may not even be a blink of an eye. So, yeah, but I, I could say generally speaking that that loss certainly does uh, require, it brings us to a place within ourselves that we don't usually experience. I have seen loss where it has really softened people, um, where people who were unwilling to reflect about the more, what I refer to as the more profound or deeper meaning of life, all of a sudden they're, they're willing to look at that because it takes them inside of themselves, you know. When you say meditation and then prayer, are they the same somehow, Kathleen, or different? So prayer is um, a thought feeling where meditation is more uh, on the feeling level. So prayer is very, very helpful to help with concentration skills, to help uh, with focus. And if you think about it, if you you yourself or you ask, you know, one of the listeners, one of your listeners to to pray for 30 minutes straight and the only thing to focus on 
is positive thoughts and good intentions for everybody and anybody you know. And I think, you know, if, if your listeners are like the most of us, find it very difficult to just maintain positive thought for 30 minutes straight. Now, as I said earlier, you know, there's consciousness and energy as one. They're a continuum. So when somebody is thinking something and they're thinking something positively, there's an energy to that. Now, what makes it stronger is when you have the feeling of the thought attached as well. And that's where meditation comes in. But you really need to pray first because you have to get your 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 concentration skill set to where you can you can concentrate for periods at a time and you're thinking you know constructively for longer and longer periods of time as as you pray and then the next step would be bringing the feelings so then that strengthens the energy of those thoughts so now it's thought and feeling energy that's that's combined and that's more on the soul level that's where you're descending into you know the the soul level where the feeling forces are also emanating you know emanating uh feelings of love emanating feelings of joy and it's just deeper it's like you think about love you know like there's there's degrees of love and I think about kids when you read when you read to kids at night and you know they're they're thinking about it they're feeling it they're using their imagination in the story and you know they're so full-bodied involved in this story right and it's sort of like that's the difference between prayer and meditation like having the feelings and the thoughts so that everything's combined and then your soul is is involved as well i love the um, the present moment exercise you have in your book the pranayama i think you pronounce it breathing and i am meditation yeah i love the uh, the thoughts to think section for each uh, spiritual law i love that too so we're almost at the end but i would love to explore some of them i have the first one that i highlighted here it is the first one to in your book abundance so the violation is fear for this law and you have violating behaviors too there so talk to me about abundance for a moment so abundance is when we're in alignment with truth where all things are available to each and every one of us the violation to abundance is fear because fear it comes from poverty consciousness that there's not going to be enough and so when we align with the truth of ourselves and who we are and not on some fear-based thought that usually was concluded in childhood but when we bring ourselves into the present time and we allow ourselves to breathe, by the way, you know, one of the reasons why meditation has us uh, focus on our breath is because breath is always in present time. And when we follow our breath, we're, we're in present time. So, <clears throat> So abundance, when we allow ourselves to truly be in the, in the present moment, we then have the sensation of the all consciousness, the universal consciousness. It's universal. And there is no division between I or we them versus us, you know, the abundance is all of us. It's all of ours. 
And therefore, when you're really tapped into that and you're, you're breathing it, you're intuiting that truth, you know at the deepest level that there's no reason to fear not to have everything because you're already living and breathing the truth of it's all for, for all of us. In a way, we already have <laughs> what we think we don't. So, yeah, it's the illusion. Of nah. Correct, correct. And fear creates the illusion. Fear creates the illusion that, you know, the poverty consciousness, there's not enough for me, or if I have it, then somebody else doesn't have it. It's the dualistic thinking. True. Mm -hmm. The other spiritual law that you have outlined in your book is acceptance, and you also have surrender. So what is the difference between acceptance and surrender? Mm -hmm. So surrendering is letting go, let go and let God, right? And so that becomes a really difficult thing. So how do we let go and let God? And that's where the spiritual law of acceptance comes in. And when we allow ourselves to accept, and when people are first starting this work, the, the focus always goes outward. They, oh, well, I have to accept, you know, the job or what. No, this is about accepting all parts within ourselves. And that doesn't mean that, that you accept or agree with um, the negative traits or the lower self, but to accept them allows ourselves to settle into that relaxed state. And then it doesn't mean we no longer do our work, but we accept this is where I am. This is what I need to focus on. This is what I need to strengthen within myself. We could then surrender. We're not fighting these inner um, battles. That's... a, a True acceptance allows us to surrender. Oh, wow. I love that um, because it resonates true to me and to the core, this idea of accepting the dark side of us or whatever we perceive as dark and then relax because that will create, yeah, this serenity, this space that we need to gain insights and then improve those areas if we need to, if we have to. Yeah, and to, you know, to really understand that what is what is darkness or what we perceive to be as negative or something that we don't like about ourselves, to understand that no fault just appears and shows up. Every single fault that we have at its very core is the divine essence. And so as we follow the timeline and if we stay present long enough with this so-called inner shadow or darkness and we allow it to express itself to us, then we get to find, find the divine essence of what it was originally before that wrong conclusion was, was made. And I often ask the question uh, to most of my guests, uh, do you believe in unconditional self-love? And most of my guests do, but we find to be that uh, a very challenging practice to embrace ourselves as a whole. And, and I often wonder why that is a, it needs to be a practice. Do you believe that it can become an understanding, a moment of understanding? Yes, through self-acceptance. <laughs> it goes back to, yeah, right. Yeah, I think that um, those, those moments and days, sometimes weeks, you know, they're, they're intermittent experiences of, of genuine love or softness or compassion for ourselves is when we really accept who we are, when we walk with self-awareness, when we really pursue self-knowledge, 
And we pray and ask for the help to experience self-love. And then that also brings into the conversation what areas within still need forgiveness. You know, what areas uh, are, is there guilt or true remorse that blocks, you know, the self-love? So I think it's more of a a day-to-day thing opposed to just wanting this block of, you know, unconditional self-love for, okay, so, you know, from the time I'm 50 years old till 90, I'm going to love myself. (laughs) I don't think it happens that way, you know. True. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it might be a moment-to-moment even uh, choice, right, we have. Yes. Yeah. But that's why I think self-awareness and, you know, self-acceptance uh, really are the prerequisites for for self-liking. How do we learn to also accept that, that we cannot change others and that we cannot interfere with their uh, free will? Yeah, well, I can share with you with what my, my spiritual teacher shared with me a long time ago. And that was, um, she said to me, no, Kathleen, it only takes one to change a relationship. And it only takes one person to work on ourselves and other people learn. Other people learn not so much from what we tell them, but from what we do. And, you know, the truth is very powerful. And so even if their defenses are blocking them from really, you know, experiencing their own truth, hence their own pain, um, our truth resonates and connects with their truth. And it could just be that, you know, we're planting seeds, And when they're ready, you know, the teacher will appear. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. And it's it's very painful when you love somebody to see them suffering. And I think we have to meet people where they're at, you know, and and to to love them by accepting where they're at. Now, I will say that. You know, the spiritual teachings say, you know, what we think is really important here on earth in the spirit world, they may not think that that's important at all and vice versa. And so sometimes when we see a loved one suffering, for all we know, they could be earning major kudos in the spirit world, (laughs) you know, and, and here we are thinking, you know, oh, they should be doing it our way. When, in fact, you know, they're really burning off karma or, you know, they're really growing their soul in another way. Right. And so so we have to let people uh, because because if we interfere with their path, they might be going along just very harmoniously uh, in their life's task. And if we interfere with that, you know, we could really be doing a disservice I know for me, um, when when I'm witnessing a loved one suffering, I pray and I ask God. I ask God to guide me. Like, when do I intervene? In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a, a personal story. My, my brother passed away um, <clears throat> in 2000. Uh, 2018, but my brother struggled with drugs from the time he was 15 years old. So it was a lifelong battle with heroin addiction, with a very, very difficult life in drug addiction. And there was a period of time where I went to a Catholic church every morning because I had to pray. I asked God every morning, I'd say, okay, do I go down there today? Do I intervene today? Do I not? You know, it was, it was 
it was a good year and a half of you know strong before he was able to go into rehabilitation. The last four years of his life, he quit drinking and he was in and out of rehabs. Um, but you know, until that time, it, there was a lot of prayer for myself. You know, just asking for guidance how I can help. And, and sometimes that meant staying away. Don't yeah. call. Don't go around. Just let them let them be, you know. That's a very um, important message for us to be reminded of and to hear. We don't know at all. We don't know what's happening. Um, and if it's not happening, there is a reason why it's not happening. Yeah, we don't want to accept that. Right? We don't. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because because I could just speak for myself because I didn't <laughs> want to feel the pain it was bringing up inside of me. Mm, right. So it made me, you know, I had to feel whatever pain there was around it not being the way I wanted my life to be and the way I wanted things to be on earth. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? I measure success based on my level of peace, yeah. that I feel fulfillment and uh, where I feel centered in my real self. That's what success is to me. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? No. No, I think that I have spent the last um, maybe 25 years uh, on a spiritual path, and that's what's most important. Um, if I could love more, I would, but I don't know that I, that I could because um, <laughs> I've really tried my best. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Well, I know the sun's going to come up. I know that um, the more that we choose love over fear, that that connects us more. And I think that it's really, really important to laugh. I know that for sure. It's really important to laugh. So glad you, you brought that up too. Yeah, the lightness, the playfulness, the yeah, laughter and enjoyment, right? Well, if you think about it, you know, when you laugh, that's the physical manifestation of moving energy around, emotional energy. Because when you laugh, ha, 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 right? Like it, it moves the emotional body and, and it really helps to move stuck energy that's stuck in, you know, any kind of pain or, or resistance. Uh, laughter moves that. Thank you so much for your wisdom, how your beautiful work, your purpose, your mission here in this reality. Um, yeah, thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Valeria. It's been a pleasure. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, on my website, KathleenKileyFisher.com. Everything is listed on my website, all my classes. In fact, I offer um, their free Pathwork Lecture Zoom discussions. Um, the second and fourth Wednesday of every month, and anybody is invited, they could attend. Um, all of my classes are also listed on my classes page on my website. My books, um, just go to my website, go to the shop page. Um, in addition to The Spiritual Mind, I've also written De-Stress with Mind, Body, and Breath and Wellness Lessons for Social-Emotional Learning. They're all uh, manuals for spiritual and emotional growth. Or you go to Amazon.com. My books are all on Amazon as well. I'll have those links on your podcast profile as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, Valeria, take care. Bye for now, Kathleen. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kathleen Kylie Fisher and her work, please visit mindbodyspiritforhealth.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.